How come I don't see you? There you are. I'm everywhere and nowhere, Kathy. I am everywhere and nowhere. When there is injustice, Kath, <laughs> I am there. <laughs> when people are in need, I am there for them. For I, I am always there, Kathy. Remember that. I am... Just call me and I am there. Oh, Fletcher's back. Hey, yeah, I'm back. Uh oh. Yeah, no, that's okay. I've been recording the whole time, so. <laughs> Nuclear. Now, is it Crick or Creek? Coyote or Coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. I'm starting the episode today by saying something purely to anger uh, a number of our listeners, and maybe maybe one of you as well, Kathy and Ross, maybe both of you for all I know. Today is the 100-episode anniversary of this podcast. Hooray for Yay! us! Hooray! Woo! Happy anniversary, everyone! <laughs> so, of course, break not... open the boat. <laughs> hey, ooh, nice callback! I uh, know. Yeah. So, of course, this is not uh, an anniversary, right? Because anniversary only refers to years, and we've not been doing this for for 100 years. But uh, I don't, I don't care, and and it's funny to make people mad with that one. So um, we are excited. This is great. We of course asked all of you to send in your questions, and we got a, a great response. So much so that we're actually only going to do some of those questions today, and we'll have more of those questions over uh, future episodes because we want to take more time on some of them. And so that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll do a portion of those. So if you don't hear yours today, then keep listening, of course, and <laughs> we'll, we'll get to yours in the future. Also, I should say, congratulations to us, not just on the 100th episode, but if you didn't see on social media, uh, we, the podcast, won first place from the Public Media Journalists Association for their interview podcast category for 2021. Yay! Yeah, Yay! that is really Woo! cool. That's a national award. The Public Media Journalists Association is a national organization. Uh, we happened to win it for our most mispronounced words of 2021 episode, so you can go back and listen to that one if you want to. I want to interject that and say I like the phrase, we the podcast, <laughs> very much. <laughs> I like that, too. <laughs> you know, we should inscribe that on some wall and watch yeah, really. it. Like it. <laughs> okay, well, we better get to it. Are you guys ready? Yep, we're ready. Hi, this is Todd from St. Louis, and at the risk of putting a little sports into the show, my question uh, is about comes from baseball, and I've noticed that they say instead of flew out, if somebody hits a fly ball, they flied out. Uh, I don't know if that's because the person physically is not the one doing the flying uh, or something to that effect, but uh, I thought that was kind of interesting and wondered if you guys had any input on that. Thanks. Okay, I think it's a really interesting question. It made both of us think for a couple of minutes. And we both did a little bit of research. Kathy, you want to go through the research we did on flyed out and flew out? I do, but I want to first interject that I'm a, I am love baseball. Baseball's my personal sport. I don't play it, but I like watching it. And I, I started thinking, sometimes I actually do say flew out. Now I feel like an idiot when I say it. You know what I mean? It's like now that you hear it, because flyed out is 
absolutely the right way to put it. Flu out is technically not the standard terminology. It's the only time you get flied in the past tense is for baseball. You don't say flied, obviously, for anything else. Although, Kathy, they did you uh, apparently there was there are a number of instances when in baseball flew out was used. They mentioned 1904 uh, St. Louis Globe Democrat, if you recall. I, no, no, no. And, that was in the OED. Yeah, I saw that, too. Yeah, I so did my did research, too, Ross. <laughs> so I wouldn't feel that dumb. I mean, and technically, you know, in English itself, flu is obviously the uh, past tense of fly. So I wouldn't feel too bad about saying flew out occasionally although you're right to be technically correct in baseball it should be flied out well the key though here is and it's it's very logical and this is when when i saw it i suddenly thought duh the the phrase fly out doesn't come from the verb fly but from the noun for a fly ball so yeah so when you fly out it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a new verb formed from the made noun. from a noun so yeah. usually what you do then yeah is you add an ed the modern way to do it when you when you when you change that verb we talked about nouning verbs and verbing nouns you add the ed for the past tense so instead of being flew it would be flied flied out and you're right and we also talked a long time ago about strong verbs and regular verbs now, or weak verbs. And the weak verbs form a past tense by the ED. And incidentally, I did a little bit of little looking too. And think, can you guys think of other words that, that follow that, that come from a noun? And it's that sounds sort of odd, but you only use them in a certain context? I'm just curious. I'm sorry, I don't understand. I'm not exactly sure what you mean, but what this made me think of outside of baseball i am also a, a huge baseball fan and so it was fun to have this question but what this made me think of was was something i read uh, about a week ago when someone for the past tense of sleepwalk they wrote slept walked no sleepwalk oh, i think it should be sleepwalked right that's that's what you sh would think right it is should be sleepwalked because the the verb is sleepwalk not yeah i mean it's not it's not too different verbs right no mm -mm. that yeah no but it is kind of i mean i understand why they did it and it is a little weird to say sleepwalked but when 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 inside you you know that the past tense of sleep is slept right it just feels a little weird yeah right it feels it does and that was what i was going to basically say because there are a bunch of others that i, that I was the one that can, can i say ross oh, sorry you, you asked if you thought of one and i was going to say i thought of one <laughs> so oh you did go go cat yeah it's spin when you spin something like as in a political spin right you say you spinned it yeah he spins right. that great you don't go he oh, spun that great. yeah right and is it it's because you're talking about the spin you're not talking about yes. spinning as a verb right oh you're, ah! you're making yeah, the verb out of the noun yeah exactly wow that, i was gonna say something with grandstand it's grandstanded it's not grandstood oh right and my personal favorite because i i'm in the great white north of canada and i broke our neighbor's snowblower last year and he kindly refused my money to, to redo it and he got a new snowblower anyway and he snowblowed my driveway. He didn't <laughs> snow, snow blue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think Ross, you should do something up there in Canada and make people start saying snow blue. You just have to now. <laughs> you know something else people say 
and it, and I, it's it's sort of like with sleepwalked how it, it, you're just not exactly sure which way to go. And this is even a, a totally different word. It just sounds similar to one that we're uh, used to. Is when they're talking about braking in their car, right? Using the brakes, people often I've heard them fumble between broke and braked, and it's not even yeah. it's not even b r e a k <laughs> brake, but since it sounds like that thing we're used to, break, and we know the past tense of break is broke, uh, often you'll hear people fumble over those two. It's wow, true. that's really interesting, Fletcher. Yeah. I like that one. Because it clearly braked, but it, I can see it. I can see people, you're yeah, right. Yeah, braked sort of bothers you a little bit. <laughs> right. You know? It's just like, oh, wait, wait. No, yeah. <laughs> so like, so I, I guess the, the real thing here is, is that we're turning the noun into a verb, right? So, so going back to the fly out, the fly fly is the noun there it's a fly ball but but we call mm-hmm. it a fly and so mm-hmm. it fl- you someone flied out correct okay mm-hmm. wow because they hit a fly ball right right and it's a little awkward to say fly balled out yeah this sounds very strange yes. although you should say the flied out ball flew in the air i think <laughs> the that's flied correct. out ball oh. no <laughs> no i'm sorry get out three strikes baby get out of here. <laughs> okay next up is a question from weena from austin texas why do we not pronounce the l in salmon it drives me crazy looking at the word with the l in it and we don't say salmon this was a f- another fun question because this is one of those ones, and I think Ross can attest to this too. People constantly talk about asking about where, why isn't this letter that I'm seeing right there pronounced in a word? And salmon is one of the biggies. It's one of the big ones up there, and it's it's an interesting kind of kind of like it, it's very representative of what happens in a lot of English. Yeah, what what basically happened? Two things happened. First of all, it depends on where the word comes from, and in this case. Salmon came from the French, even though originally it came from Latin and probably some other language before Latin. The French, by the time it came into French, it used to be in Latin salmo, S-A-L-M-O. L was pronounced. There's a very common tendency in languages, in Indo-European languages at least, where the L kind of gets mushed out when it follow it's uh, following a interjection mushed inter- is the technical term you realize <laughs> <laughs> well i actually didn't want to say uh, you could call it l vocalization but whatever let's say the l, disappe- <laughs> the l disappears and it entered into french as it became in french salmon and then it came into english as salmon s-a-m-o-n then and this was a big deal in the uh, late renaissance in england a bunch of persnickety pedants decided, gee, Latin is the prestige language. Latin is the language English should emulate. So we're, let's going to chuck back that L in salmon, even though no one, no one in England pronounced it salmon. The L was stuck in to make it look more like Latin, which was the prestige language. And we've touched on this in the past. I mean, you remember that, Fletcher. We've talked about like other words that lost that lost the letter, that, that are the, the, the letter is there, but no one's talking about it. I mm-hmm. mean, solder, receipt, debt, doubt, indict. I, there's so many. And mm-hmm. and it's all that, that, like, you know, let's make it look Latin, even though no one's talking that way. The thing, though, that gets me a little bit with salmon is that the more I looked at it, because, I mean, we obviously know this story about the, the story of salmon and the missing L. The problem is that was 
what I'm finding more and more, and I'm curious if you guys have noticed it, is apparently some people think now it's almost like a, a Latinizing craze redux to pronounce the L a little bit sounds more proper. Have you seen anything like that? Because I saw a couple of references to that of people saying salmon because they think it sounds like I know that this was originally the pronunciation. Well, it's interesting, Kathy, that you're talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Cute. Very cute. (laughs) I haven't. What about you, Fletcher? No, I haven't heard that either. I think I've, I mean, I've probably heard somebody say the L, but it certainly didn't seem like it was because they thought that they were being fancier. I have a, I have a bug up my butt about that possibly though. Cause I have that thing about fancy pronunciation that drives me crazy. Hey, I've got a trivia question for you guys. Okay. So salmon is not with an L. How do you pronounce the, uh, bacterial disease? S-A-L-M. We talked about this once. That's the problem. Salmonella. Let's see if Fletcher remembers. Fletcher. Yeah. Salmonella is how I would pronounce it. But now they come from the same place. Good question. No. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Fletcher is on top. No, Salmonella came from a guy called Daniel Elmer Salmon, who was a, uh, I think a bacteriologist or a surgeon who discovered uh, Salmonella. And he pronounced the L in his name. Yeah. Now, trivia question number two. Right. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Is there any etymological or word reason why Dr. Daniel Elmer Salmon pronounced the L? That's how they always said it. <laughs> well, I, I, cert- I mean, I'm certainly not familiar with, with Dr. Salmon. Um, so right. I don't think that I can answer this trivia question, sadly. Uh, Tell us, Ross. In Anglo-Saxon, there there was a surname called Salmon. And this name came from the baptismal name as a son of Solomon. So it was it's not even related to the fish. Mm-hmm. It's related to a biblical figure. So this makes which had the L in it. This makes me wonder about the I think the name that often comes up, even if people don't know who he was, uh, he was the Chief Justice of the United States, Salmon P. Chase or Salmon P. Chase. I, I mean, don't know. I've never I was really known which it was, and I kind of, I kind of wondered if it came from Solomon, and it was supposed to be Salmon. I'm sure it is. Yeah. I'm sure. Trust me on that. I know nothing, but trust me on that one. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever I'm heard anybody. Now, yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone confidently say Chief Justice Chase's name one way or the other it, it usually seems like people are not quite sure which which i'm seeing salmon on uh-huh. everything when i look I, i'm i'm cheating and looking on my handy dandy computer and they're all saying salmon all right yeah that's what i'm reading too it should be salmon okay there so we it go. does come from the hebrew yeah it makes me nervous though <laughs> it would be speaking of that that'd be really tough isn't there another guy fish can you imagine if uh the two got married be salmon fish <laughs> <laughs> it would because then would it would almost seem like you were mispronouncing s- salmon right yeah, <laughs> yeah <I know. laughs> then you were talking about fish uh, a lot of people no. would carp about it. Ah. <laughs> Just for the hell of it, right? <laughs> wow, that was really good. I'm a smart girl. <laughs> Hi, Fletcher, Kathy, and Ross. My name is Debbie. I live in Landa Lakes, Florida, which is just outside of Tampa, but originally hail from northern New Jersey, where Kathy and I went to high school together. My question is more of a pet peeve that I can't let go of. What is up with the myself movement? P. 
people cannot seem to stop using myself as the subject of a sentence when referring to themselves. What are your thoughts on this? Is it because they know it's incorrect to use me? Why don't they just use I? Love the show. Demi's old Ridgewood High School. <laughs> and I just wanted to say thanks for the question because Ross and I were talking about it and ourselves think that myself is getting overused as well. Everybody seems to be using myself more and more. And Debbie used to be a principal. She just retired. So I just want to point out that she knows how to, she knows her, her topics here. So we're just going to say, why are they using myself so much? Well, here's the quick, we think down and dirty few reasons. We think they're about like four or five. Yeah, I think, first of all, there's the terror nowadays in modern English. People are absolutely terrified of misusing I and me. For some reason, people think me sounds bad. So we, we were talking about this in a previous podcast. Between you and I is frequent now because the, it should be between you and me. They're, they know they're scared of saying me, but they're not sure when they should say I. So they take the compromise and say myself. Technically, you can say between you and myself and it sounds okay. That's the first big reason. The second reason we think is myself. It's a longer word than I or me, and it sounds kind of classy. It's a formal word. They think it sounds good. It's weightier. It has a, a certain resonance to it. So we think that's the other reason. Another reason we think is it's ubiquitous and used so much that people just hear it and they just chuck it in themselves. Finally, we think, and this seems to be a big one in sports, it seems egotistical to say me. Me, me, me. So myself sounds maybe a little classier and a little more humble. And we hear this, oddly enough, in baseball commentary almost all the time. Here we go back to baseball. <laughs> yeah, here we go again. Myself fly out. No, sorry. <laughs> I was about to say that. <laughs> and certainly with politicians. Mm -hmm. So it softens the word. Let's arrange a call between myself, yourself, and Kathy. It mm -hmm. sounds to them better than saying me, you, and Kathy. So that's our, that's our take on it. Kathy, you want to talk about the correct usage of myself? What we're talking about is a reflexive pronoun. They reflect back. You use it to be intensive. It's an emphasis. I myself. No, that's not reflexive, though. But that's, that's an intensifier. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to. But as a reflective first, Kath, sorry. Oh, I told myself to shut up right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Kathy jumbled the two. There are two usages of myself, ourself. One is the reflexive. I look at myself in the mirror. And the other is the intensifier. Right. If people are looking for a longer discussion on this, we have talked about it before in a full episode. Uh, that, If you want to go find it, that was back on April 30th of 2021. It's called Taking Selfies. So you can go back and listen to that entire episode if you want uh, even more detail, uh, which, of course, you do on, on this myself issue. <laughs> but in, in either case, and what helped me understand this uh, when we when we did the episode was uh, knowing that I needed that I in there because the thing that's your myself reflects I right so I looked mm -hmm. at I mm -hmm. looked at myself mm -hmm. in the mirror or I myself do not agree um, or something like that that's what really helped me understand because I was never totally sure when to use myself and, and what this whole reflexive thing was and and for me that that really got things straight in my head mm-hmm the interesting thing to me, though, about this question is Debbie was saying, like, it just kind of makes her cringe hearing them myself. I don't know that it bothers me as much. I, I, I don't I don't feel. What about you? I know we've talked about this in the past and I, I've forgotten, to be honest with you, how you both felt. 
Because I know that panic with the, with the I and the me periodically. You know, you're talking quickly and you don't want to make a mistake. And it's quick myself then. What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I understand it. And I also sometimes get a little bothered by it because it's just it's just everywhere. There's so much myself. And and sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes it, it just does sound a little weird. It, it almost sounds like people are turning themselves in knots just so that they can get the word myself into their sentence, you know? In there. Yeah. So I, you know, I go both ways. I, I certainly sometimes accidentally throw it in because I'm just not sure about the I, me, whatever. Um, and I'm talking quickly, but, but yeah, it, it also bothers me a little bit. I see both sides. It's really interesting, Fletcher, because you're leading into the next question we got, which is very interesting. We're talking about when do you use, when when are you comfortable with the misuse of myself? Is it being misused? This goes into the idea of rules, which I think really brilliantly segues into our next question. Hello, Kathy, Ross, and Fletcher. My name is Jeff. I love words and language, and I am a regular listener living in the small village of Port Donvaux, France. My question is this. How can you be so very wrong? I think of you as friends, those kinds of friends that we all have, wrong-minded, often infuriating friends, but friends nonetheless. What I do not understand is how you can hold such inconsistent views. Sometimes you say that there are no rules as long as language serves its purpose to communicate, and other times you harp on about how the rules of grammar make a sentence wrong. Well, really, choose a side already. I believe that neither sloppy language nor shoddy teaching make improper grammar acceptable. Yes, it is true that all rules of language are, as you've said, just made up. But they are made up to bring order from chaos and to aid in more precise communication. Please, it's not too late. Change your cavalier and errant ways. On the positive side, good wine is cheap here in rural France, and often, after listening to you, I'm driven to support the local winemaking economy. (laughs) This was one of my favorite questions. I absolutely adored this. And I want you to know that I also am supporting the local wine industry here in Spain. So (laughs) keep up the fight. (laughs) I I really, honestly, I thought this was a wonderful question. I think it's loads of fun. And I think you're such a great sport for sending it in, even though we don't agree with some of your upsetness (laughs) with us. (laughs) So why are some rules good and others bad is really the bottom line, because you're saying we're being cavalier and we're saying we're being picky. I think. Well, I was going to say we sort of agree with you and we sort of don't. Yep. How's that? <laughs> Have some wine. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think the key really thing, we we talked about this question a bit, and it was interesting because our real bottom line is we're sort of modified, limited prescriptivists or modified, limited descriptionists. Some rules are good. Some rules are bad. Some rules are good in certain occasions. Some rules are, are not good in certain occasions. And we, we've talked at length about registers of language. And in some cases, better grammar, I think, is more essential if you're in an academic or a business environment or whatever. And good grammar isn't that big of a deal if you're in a you know bunch of friends or in a baseball game. Do you guys agree with that? Or Yeah, I, I have a lot of feelings about this. And 
Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with that. It, the, it's uh, changing registers, as you say. Um, you, you speak differently depending on who you're speaking with. You write differently depending on what your who, what your audience is. But also, you know, he he said that all language rules are made up, which in a sense they are, but some of them come organically. They they develop mm -hmm. because of the ways we communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. Others, as we mentioned a little bit ago, are thrust upon us because somebody has some artificial idea of what the language should be like. So when mm -hmm. when all of those stuffy people decided that English should be more like Latin, these rules were, were thrust upon the language that don't exactly necessarily make any sense. Splitting infinitives, ending sentences with prepositions. Now, it took me a long time to learn that it wasn't actually, it didn't really matter whether you did those things because mm -mm. those rules were thrust upon us. And I don't think they give us any sort of advantage. Language doesn't sound more beautiful because of those, not to me. It, and and I, I don't think there's any problem with breaking those rules because they didn't develop organically. Mm. Nor does mm. it sound necessarily more clear. But the other danger that we do have with rules and language is that language is protein. It's constantly protein, protein, not protein, but um, it's constantly <laughs> changing. And then we get into another thing. It got me because a couple of days ago, Fletcher, I emailed you and you said, share our reward to whoever oh, right. it concerns. And I said, ah, shouldn't there be an M? And Fletcher castigated me and said, I don't really think we need an M in this case. Who gives a blank? And I think, actually, as Fletcher was castigating me, I said to myself, I think Fletcher's correct. Mm -hmm. The who-whom distinction doesn't really make for more greater clarity. I'm a stickler for it. But most people aren't. And to some degree, by my like sticking my little nose into people's business by saying am and who and whom, in a funny way, I'm actually committing a crime against the language because I'm actually denigrating someone who, who speaks very good English, Fletcher. And um, I think that's where another case that I think we have to be aware of, which is why Kathy and I and Fletcher are somewhat inconsistent. Some rules are okay to kind of stick with. I think we should. Other rules, we can bend them a little bit. I mean, who said you can't bend rules? I actually think this is the one of the problems I think the three of us have, though, with being that like that radical middle, non-prescriptive, mm -hmm. prescriptivist, and non-descriptivist. Um, thank you. Is is that it's not it, it, there? You can't be specific. You have to be flexible, and it changes rapidly from moment to moment yeah. when like today in this instance that is wrong tomorrow in a, a slightly different instance i'll say that's fine because we go back to registers we go back to like the, the the specific incidents and so on and i think that it's it's there's a danger on both sides for me at least and i think you guys agree there's a danger with being so fluid you go no there's no reason for any rule whatever language language changes it's okay but there's also a danger on the flip side when you go whom whom who whom and etc yeah. so i mean i i, I think actually jeff no offense <laughs> get your wine right now <laughs> I, I personally think we're doing a really good job by, by straddling this, this divide, yes. like the mighty Colossus, if you will. <laughs> well, the world's not black and white. We know that. We say that all the time. And, and so you have to have some kind of flexibility or you will be pounding Xanax all the time because you won't be able to mm -hmm. handle 
everybody who's breaking these rules, whether they're the mm-hmm. uh, artificial rules that were imposed on us or the more organic ones that are always changing. Well, like mm-hmm. you said, Ross, y- you can't if you if you go around correcting every who and whom you're you're not just going to cause yourself problems, but you're kind of trying to petrify the language that mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. that is changing right now. I mean, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not, it's changing. And, and so having that flexibility. You're also making a lot of enemies. Yeah, frankly. exactly. I mean, exactly. Yeah. You are. For me, for me personally, I I think the two things it really comes down to, on a personal level, are are clarity and beauty. Those are the things that I prize mm-hmm. in in my language. Uh, I I want people to understand what I'm saying, and and I do have an affection for elegant language. It's it's mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. And and when when you've got, I think clarity comes first. But uh, you know when you've got. Uh, beautiful language then that that's a bonus and if it's if we're if we're holding to rules that don't really add to either of those things clarity or beauty then i don't really see the problem with breaking them i like that no, i, agree I think that's you. really nice i like that uh, but i also think we have to like we were talking we do have to be aware of our audience as well i do think for example who and whom i think that you're completely correct it doesn't really matter however i think if i'm going to be writing you know, a, a top paper for someone. I'm going to try to be really pretty persnickety about rules in that case. But otherwise, I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah, depending on who the referees are, you have to know how to play the game, right? Right. Pretty much. Well, it's kind of mm-hmm. like when you went, when you go on a job interview. I, I wear cutoffs all the time in the summer. I live in cutoffs and sandals and tank tops. I wouldn't wear that to a job interview, even though that's how I dress, because I know mm-hmm. that I have to present myself in a dress. It's kind of the same to me in language. It's, 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 it's a formality, yes, but it's like know your audience. But at the same time, and I, I agree with you completely, at the same time, though, we both all three of us, I should say, have gotten a little bit peeved at like these descriptivists who go, anything goes. Because right. I do think there does have to be at least some consistency. Otherwise, you're dealing with mush as a language. Well, I think now that Jeff is liking you right now, Ross. <laughs> well, we, we well, I'm going to have some wine. We have good Ontario wine, too, I have to say. <laughs> I'm on the lake. <laughs> and it's higher in those, uh, what do you call it, uh, res- res- resveratrol here. Cold weather. So we got good wine, too. <laughs> Jeff, uh, we we love you very much, and we're really happy that that you listen, and also that you sent that question. And, and certainly, uh, it's fun for me that there are plenty of people on Jeff's side who listen to this podcast and can stomach us, uh, even if it does drive them to drink. <laughs> <laughs> because you, you know, it's it's all it's all part of the we all love we all love language, right? Uh, that's why we're here. And that's true. Yeah, perfectly put. Regardless of of our our personal specific position on Jeff's question, thank you, Jeff. Hi guys, my first name is Robin Ann, and I'm calling you from New Brunswick, Canada. I'm not a Maritimer, I've only lived here for 15 years. My formative years were spent in Montreal and Southern Ontario to give you a sort of reference point for how I speak our common tongue. As a French to English translator by profession, I listen to a few language-related podcasts, but yours is by far the best. I chuckled when I heard your deadline for submitting questions, as July 1st is Canada Day. So here's my question, and I'm pretty sure I speak on behalf of all English-speaking Canadians in asking it. Why do so many Americans think Canadians say about when we're actually saying about? What exactly are they hearing? Are they all suffering from about of tinnitus? I suspect most Canadians would like to give them a collective boot in the butt. But maybe I'm just making much ado about nothing. Happy Canada Day and Happy Independence Day. Okay, We've got a split here. Ross Canadian, Kathy not Canadian. 
And I am one of those Americans who has said, who has done a bad Canadian imitation, and I do say the, the aboot and the A, even. Um, but you're <laughs> oh. absolutely right. No, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I really am, especially because Ross has corrected me many, many times. But you're absolutely right. Americans do think Canadians speak that way. And, and obviously, uh, now that my brother is Canadian and everybody in the family on that side is Canadian, I've realized that I've been wrong low these many years. Um, so we started looking into the why. Well, Ross, you, you explain first what it is that Canadian English has. Okay, Canadian English has a really funny thing to Americans, and it's really called a Canadian rising. It's a diphthong. The uh, diphthong are two vowel sounds kind of mushed together. I was say mushed this time. Yeah, you are. I keep saying it. And it, it goes up. And so it's it's not, I can't really do it. It's funny, my daughter-in-law does it. Everyone does it in my family, but I don't. I'd say an American about, but it's about, it goes out, up, up like that. And why the, the question therefore though, is this Canadian rising, which is unique to Canada? It is not found in any other country. Why is this thought of as a boot? One guess would be that people don't really hear correctly. Someone says a boot and then everyone else says it. Is that what you think, Kathy, or not? I think I'm it could like, becomes like a myth that happens. Yeah. Well, I, I think it, it kind of, I think it became a bit, a comedic bit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Kind of like, um, who were the, oh golly, now I can't remember the show. Remember John, King, the Great White North, they did the fake. Yeah, uh, like, S, like SCTV. Yeah, thank you. That's mm -hmm. it, SCTV. Yes. And he had that, they were, they were always talking about uh, hosers. And, yeah, with um, the McKenzie brothers, right? Yeah. yeah the McKenzie oh, yeah, brothers, course. thank yeah. you. That's yeah. it. Good day and welcome to the Great White North uh, Canadian Corner. I'm Bob McKenzie. This is my brother, Doug. How's it going, eh? And today's topic, what was it? Uh, how come Americans yeah, right, have, right, like, right. twist-off beer cap? Yeah, okay. So I think it's that kind of thing. Yeah, and it catches on and everybody says it. And it's like, it's like people talk about people in New Jersey, which is where Ross and I grew up. They say New Jersey. I have never in my life heard anyone say New Jersey. But you'll you'll see that written J-O-I-S-E-Y. And I think that's the aboot. It's like, it's... it's an approximation of an accent that that goes too far. And it's a funny, it's like, it's a lie that tells the truth. It's a funny approximation that kind of like hints at something. With New Jersey, I mean, having grown up in New Jersey, in New Jersey I mean, there <laughs> is that like, you know, that reservation, you know. Hi. Oh yeah, Ma, I mean, what is, are you making for dinner? What, yeah. Reservations, <laughs> you know, that sort of Jersey accent. I don't think Americans, I, I don't think, I think it's really remarkable how little Americans tend to know of Canada. A friend of ours, uh, he actually submitted a, uh, a piece to our calendar that we have. Uh, he was in, he's from Vancouver uh, and he was oh, across was the border. In, <laughs> and he was across the border in Washington state. And uh, the per the driver goes, you know, where are you from? And he goes um, from uh, Vancouver the guy goes, Vancouver, Washington. He goes, no, Vancouver, Canada. And he goes, where's that? Wow. And he goes, yeah. <laughs> and then another person had, I think I forgot it was, he said his sister's in Vermont. And the guy goes, That's in he goes, is that near uh, your your area? You know, that sort of, there's no knowledge. Yeah. Mm -mm. I say Toronto and people have no idea where it is. None. The, I'm just thinking of the Abut, because we used to have, when I lived in New York, um, uh, Pat Kiernan was his name. He was the anchor on New York One. 
and he I would I loved listening to say about because he did do that he did it that very Canadian way mm-hmm. and it was definitely mm-hmm. not a boot and it was closer no. to a boat right. but it was it a was boat. a very soft a, yeah. a boat it was it was softly a, and you know, we'll get to that about i can't do it i can't i can't approximate it i can't do but that it was real it the... was very real and it was very different than than an american about but it was surely not a boot i can't do the bean either there's like a it's not bin it's bean and like i was talking to my daughter-in-law the other day and she does bin sometimes and bean i can't do it I should have my wife here to do it. Bean sometimes, which I cannot do. And there, it's interesting with Canada, though, because a lot of distinctive Canadian uh, accents are apparently changing now. Oh. And they're losing some of the more distinct um, vocalizations, which I thought was very fascinating. That saddens me. Yeah. Yeah, that's always that's always unfortunate. I, I think when we listen to Robin Ann with her question, we can hear that there is a difference in the way she says about it's mm-hmm. not it's not a boot she's right mm-hmm. uh, but no. you know th- there's a difference and, and we hear it and maybe part of it is that we can't do it yes you know yeah, so, so i think that's a great point yeah that is absolutely right i think uh, another thing that she asked in an when she sent this through her email to me and said she was worried it was too personal to ask but it's it's not and i've always wondered and since you guys mentioned new jersey and the way people say things in new jersey she wants to know how two siblings uh can have such different accents that is really <laughs> that's a really great question <laughs> i have i have like i think i have a a, sta- a modern standard english accent <laughs> which is sort of bland and just is you're far from bland, though, Ross. But I, I, my initial, actually, my very, very first language as a little kid was Greek. And then I was a little toddler. I switched over, obviously, to English. And I, I wondered sometimes if that made me a little bit, like, slightly concerned about sounding standard, which I think I do. <laughs> okay, I'll, now I'll do me. Um, first of all, I lived in New York. I, I went there when I was um, in college, and I stayed there for, for many, many years. And I loved New York. I was going to be a New Yorker for life and now in Spain, so never mind. That didn't work. I always loved New York accents. i got to be honest. And I think that my liking of it made me pick it up um, really quickly. And, and, and the, the first guy I lived with was from Brooklyn. Remember Jeff? Jeff was Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. And then Mitch was Brooklyn. Your accent definitely changed because you, you did have a more standard I was a very uh, standard talker until I moved to New York. Yeah, no, you had a standard question. accent as well. You did. But this is this is actually fake. This is as if I were like a, in a Katherine Hepburn movie and I was doing that like mainline thing, which I can't really do. This is really kind of that. But it's real now. It is. And that's the funny thing about language, how your accent slightly changes. Even, even uh, it changes, in Kathy's case, dramatically, but it does also slightly change. Because I noticed when I first came here, people always were asking me if I were American. And I think I still sound American. And I don't get that question anymore. And I have no Mm. idea why, because I don't think my accents change. But there are probably slight, subtle differences now from, you know, 15 years ago or something like that, where it it clearly has a different uh, sound to it. And I think we do tend to mimic even even in in a tiny way. Yeah. And I think Kathy mimicked in a very big way. Yeah, well, I've, I've always been large. <laughs> yeah. I went for the drama. <laughs> but I also think, though, I mean, it's like I've noticed I've actually lost a lot of my accent. 
because of mm-hmm. being on the West Coast for so long. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. it's not quite now. Now it's getting big again. I'm not but, trying to. Yeah, I, but I, it, I, I but can it's hear true. you. <laughs> but there is a funny New York or New Jersey thing, though, because occasionally and I don't think I ever had a Jersey accent, but my wife will occasionally hear me go dog. Without thinking, <laughs> the Which dog I might is barking. Add is proper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And I and I, I'm shocked that I say it because I don't c- consciously even know it. And there's a place in near Ridgewood where we lived called uh, Horth, uh, Hawthorne. Oh my God! See now, and, I never took the R in Hawthorne. That's amazing. And there is no Hawthorne. R in the thing, but it's very common vernacular in that area to say Hawthorne. And I was talking to an old buddy of mine from New, you know, from that area who moved to Hawthorne, <laughs> and I said Hawthorne. <laughs> so it's really interesting how that little, even even if you if you don't think you have it, you have subtle instances of dialect. Yeah, you, you know, I I, th- I think it's right that being in places, uh, you know, can can really affect how you talk. Maybe depending on who you are, but I I might have told this story before, but I can't remember. One time I was it was when I was in college. I went to visit some friends in Minnesota who were who were in college there. And we happened to get pulled over by the police. Uh, and one of my friends had just thrown up in the back seat. It was actually because he was sick, not because <laughs> we were in college. <laughs> and drinking too much. OK, no, no, sure. No. Yeah, for, for he real, was sick. It was. But, <laughs> but uh, the the uh, the state trooper started talking to me with his heavy Minnesota accent. And when I started talking back to him, I was also taking on that heavy accent. <laughs> And and I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to try to do it right now. But the entire time I was speaking in my head, I was thinking, oh, God, he's going to think I'm making fun of him because I'm I know this way. And I couldn't stop Sorry, doing that's hysterical. It. Yeah. Luckily, he was very nice. And he let us go on about our way, even though uh, my college aged friend had thrown up in the back seat. <laughs> I'm sure you were thinking like, shut up, Fletcher. Yeah. I was. Shut up. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it was, it was like this loud dialogue in my head, you know, while these oh, words were coming Fletcher. out of my mouth. <laughs> oh, that's just painful. <laughs> but that's what's such fun. That fascinates me, though. That like, always gets me with pronunciation. Just the things. Ross, you had picked up from mom. Our mother was from the South. And you actually have sometimes a Southern thing going when you're talking. I'll do. do y'all and all of that. I do y'all naturally. Yeah. But, you know, there, no, you do. You can't help but pick up some. My wife is just a horror. She picks up everything, <laughs> every accent instinctively. So if you go with her, we went to like New England one time and you, she sounded like a New Englander. And I said, what are you doing? She just does it. <laughs> yeah. It's just can't, natural. can't help it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's basically what. Or what she talks to her to sister. Sister talks like this. How are you? And Sly does that. I don't know how she does it, but she oh, but it's not it's not deliberate. It just happens. Yeah, yeah. For me, I'm sort of stuck in my uh, my accent. Okay, our last question for today. And remember, if you didn't hear your question, keep listening to future podcasts. We're going to get to all of them. Uh, we just ended up with so many. And and thank you again very much to everybody who's sending questions. This last one is from Bart from Burbank, California. Hey guys, longtime listener, first time caller. Uh, have a question what is the correct pronunciation tomato or tomato if you could clear that up for me it'd be great have a great one bye now i was thinking when i 
heard this, that Bart was just being playful. Uh, I happen to know him. He's a very good friend of mine. Also, by the way, a fantastic movie and TV editor. So if you're looking for someone, then hire Bart. He's great and pay him a lot of money. <laughs> but I thought maybe he was just being playful, and maybe he was. But it turns out there's a lot more to this than I realized. Well, there's so much to this, Fletcher, that we're going to really we're going to answer this briefly now. But we're going to have to have probably two podcasts dealing with it. <laughs> Bart, you... It's true! <laughs> okay. This Bart, gets you into overachiever! The most... <laughs> this gets into the most annoyingly complicated aspect of English. It's called the Great Vowel Shift. And that was a time when all of the English long vowels decided to play musical chairs and change <laughs> places <laughs> and change sounds. And it, you want to scream. You really need a diagram and you need a few hours really to discuss it. The and a, short a bottle idea, of wine. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Jeff? The short idea is tomato comes from the Nahuatl. I don't know if that's the correct uh, Mexican word tomato, which came into Spanish with the ah sound tomato as in potato. Then it switched because of how vowel changes and it became tomato. But <laughs> tomato being particularly irritating and, and many other words had this kind of got halfway there. So it changed completely for some areas or dialects, but not for others. So you have some people going tomato and you have other people going tomato. They're all acceptable, I want to throw in. They're all acceptable. And for some reason, that some of the thought is that in um, England, where the, and in northern New England, where some of the vowel changes didn't completely finish up, potato stay got stuck in tomato. Potato. We're on tomato. Or tomato I'm sorry, tomato. <laughs> in other areas where the vowel change completed the thing, it became tomato. For example, if tomato. If tomato had come into, let's say, uh, Chaucer's time, let's say Chaucer's mom, Mrs. Chaucer, or Mrs. Copton, actually. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Someone's showing making, off. <laughs> was making uh, Chaucer's a tomato salad. She would have called it a tomato salad. Now, if Shakespeare's wife was making it, she probably would have said tomato or tomato, probably a shorter Tomato, I think more. I think the flat, like yeah, a flatter tomato, tomato. Yeah, like pasta, pasta. Right. Pasta, tomato. If, to, right. If, yeah. Right. And if Stoppard's uh, was making himself <laughs> a salad, what's it with all these playwrights? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's eating those fruits that we call a veg. <laughs> but the whole real thing is the idea of the musical chairs in English is absolutely fascinating. It's and confusing. incredibly complicated. And there's the great vowel shift in English. There's also, we should we probably should discuss the northern vowel shift of short vowels. In, That's um, the part two, Ross. <laughs> yes. That's why we're going to have a two-parter, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just going to go back to tomato, tomato now and say that the thing that fascinates me is that people think or thought or still do sort of that tomato we go back to my pet peeve as we all know that fake refined like you know i say vase not vase because vase is lower class which i detest and there was for a long time the thought that like tomato particularly in the mid-atlantic states your philadelphia that sort of area sounded better and then i found hl mencken 
which fascinated mm. me. They were trying to sound British, was the whole thought. And we go back to that, that, that um, you know, that, that in the movies, the Catherine Hepburn, that whole thing. And H.L. Mencken wrote uh, a, a little chunk in the American language in 1921, and he was talking about how an Englishman in America was really, really irritated by Americans saying tomato, and he said, mm-hmm. it's like, it's wrong, <laughs> which I was fascinated by. So Americans are in their benighted way trying to sound like Brits. And this British guy is saying, that's ridiculous. We don't say tomato. We say tomato, which rhymes with potato. And I'm going to throw in something, another little joker in the deck here. I don't think anyone really in America says tomato. We also talked about flapping. Everyone says mm-hmm. tomato. There's no T. Uh, it's a D, right? Tomato. Mm-hmm. It's a D. It's we call that. We talked about flapping in. Uh, flapping. It's called in, flapping technically. Yeah. Yeah. Tomato. I, I, I don't think I say tomato. Although oddly tomato. enough, when you say tomato, <laughs> you want to pronounce the T more. You don't want to flap. You don't you want to flap as tomato. much. No. Tomato. 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 Actually, you say yeah. tomato. I say tomato. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Actually, it's well, funny. So, so we we kind of need to add a third word to that song, don't we? It, t- tomato, yes. tomato, tomato. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think the final thing should be let's call the whole thing off. Nonsense. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> I say I third, you say neither. I say neither, either, either, neither, neither. Let's call the whole thing off. You like potato, and I like potato. You like tomato, and I like tomato. This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. You're Saying It Wrong is a worldwide affair. Kathy Petrus records from her home in Granada, Spain. Ross Petrus from his home in Toronto, Ontario in Canada. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod. Email them at kandrpetrus at gmail.com or email me at powell at kmuw.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or better yet, a review on your podcast platform of choice. Kathy and Ross's book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press. You can find that and much of their other work pretty much anywhere you get books. We recommend your local independent bookstore. And, of course, Kathy and Ross are always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks.